I invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, to Luke chapter 9, and uh, if you're getting used to your Bibles, uh, the Gospels are about three-fourths of the way back in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're in Luke these days, and if you don't have a Bible with you, it's on page 723 of the Black Bibles that hopefully are in a seat rack near you. Please feel free to take that out and turn to page 723. And while you're turning there, if you haven't been with us, and even if you have, we're in this series called The Life of Christ. We have banners up here on the sides that talk about that. We've been in the Gospel of Luke. Why? Several different reasons. One, we want to study the words, the works, and the way of Jesus. We want to understand what it means to live in the way of Jesus and the way that he lived life. And also, we've been saying all along, that if we're interested in becoming his disciples, his followers, then here's what the disciples' mantra really was. It's like our series sentence. If we wanna be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Why? Because we're learning that God's plan for us is not to be successful Americans. His plan for us is to become like Jesus. And if we understand that that's the ultimate goal in life, then this makes great sense for us to spend time being with Jesus in the scriptures here in Luke. And so as we study this today, this message today is called, Who Do You Say? That question uh, comes up in this passage, and uh, it really is a critical question. And it kind of leads into the beginning here. Last week we saw that Jesus is training us to do ministry with him, to be his followers, and that that training process involves both teaching and practice. And so today, if you're following along in the notes, here's how I want to serve it up to you. The recurring question in Luke, you're going to see this, if I could paraphrase it, it's this. Who is Jesus? This is a million dollar question. Who is Jesus? Yeah, I list some verses out to the right. Who is this? Who even forgives sins? Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this? That's the question. And Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continues to just keep putting this question along so that while you and I are reading it, we're forced to ask, who is this? Is he a prophet? Is he somebody else? Who is this? And so, if you're following along, what I want you to see in today's passage is that Jesus reveals who he is and says what they don't want to hear. So in this passage today, we're going to see that Jesus actually pulls back the curtain, he reveals who he is, and then he tells them what they don't want to hear. His disciples, you know, are thinking that. So, happy Father's Day. Tells them what they don't want to hear. Friends, I want to just tell you, in this passage here, I mean, I don't know if you've ever studied it before, there's at least four or five bombs in this passage that he drops on his disciples. And most of us are going, wow. And see, I didn't even know which bomb to spend time talking about. There's so many bombs in this passage. And so I thought to myself, what, how do we understand this passage? How can we look at it together in a way that we can walk out of here to our cars and step into this week with an understanding of what Jesus wants to get across to us. And so, if you're caught up with all the bombs, I don't want you to miss this big idea that I've listed here next to the notes. And it kind of has a little bit of a rhyme to it, maybe a little bit of a rap, but here it is. Jesus, here's what he's saying. He says, you must let go if you want to follow me. You must let go if you want to follow me. Why, is, why do we need a message like this? Because everything in our culture tells us that it's all about getting more, not letting go. That if you want to hold on to something, 
go ahead, because you, it's your right, it's what you should do. And we're all taught that maybe life is about holding on, holding on, holding on. But Jesus says, actually, sometimes the only way you can really live is if you let go. And there are some must let goes in life, and I want to talk to you about what those are. So here's what I want to do today. I want to read the passage together, and you'll see the outline. The the passage we're going to read is about Jesus revealing conversation with his disciples. Then we need to look at what's going to be our response to his invitation. And yes, it's very challenging. Jesus is high challenge, but he's also high invitation. We're going to see how do we respond to this invitation that he has in this passage. And then I want to tell you that what helped me understand this, this whole thing was a kid's story that I used to read to my kids. So I'll share that with you in a little bit. But uh, let me uh, read this passage, then we'll pray and we'll dig in, okay? So if you're following along with me, I'll start out at verse 18. When we get to verse 20, if you'd be ready to read in that first gray box, and when we get to verse 22 and 23, if you'd be ready to read with me from the second gray box. Here we go. It says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. Let me just stop for a second. Luke, uh, don't have time to talk about this today, but seven times in Luke's gospel, it points out that Jesus is praying. And each time it's right before he's going to say something important or do something important in his ministry. There's a lesson for us here. Prayer was absolutely essential in Jesus' life, and Luke doesn't miss that. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Now, again, I don't know if you recognize, but John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Messiah. Elijah was supposed to come back before the Messiah came, and sometimes other prophets were in part of that. So what the crowds are saying is, is they say that you're the forerunner of the Messiah. Notice, he comes to verse 20. Would you read with me? But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? I'll continue. Verse 21 there, 20. It says, Peter answered, God's Messiah. Verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. That's interesting. We'll come back to that. Would you read verse 22 and 23 with me? And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. And he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And now we come to verse 24. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? Now Jesus, you're training us. You're training us in a new way. You're training us to be your disciples, to join you in ministry and to do life with you. And for some of us, this is brand new. And for some of us, we've been at it for a while, but all of us, Lord, wherever we are on the spiritual map, 
whether we're interested or not interested, would you meet us where we are and bring us to where you want to bring us? And I ask, Lord, that you'd come to every seat and be our teacher. Only you know exactly how to speak to every person. So I ask you to do that for your name's sake. Amen. Okay, let's look at this together. If you're following along, what I want you to see in Jesus' revealing conversation is a couple of must, okay? Number one, he says to them, you must let go of your wrong ideas of God's Messiah. You must let go of your wrong ideas of God's Messiah. Where do I get this? Do you notice in verse 21, after Peter says, you're God's Messiah. Not only does he not deny it, but then he says, he strictly warned them not to tell anyone else that this was his identity. Why? Don't you want to get the word out, Jesus? We can help you. You know, people love it. He says, that's exactly what I'm concerned about. See, the way that they're thinking about Messiah and the way God's thinking about Messiah are not the same. And they'll go crazy, but they'll go crazy for the wrong reasons. And therefore, don't tell anyone. I don't know if you've ever seen it in Matthew's gospel, but Matthew 16 and Matthew 8, it talks about this. And before I read that, let me just read to you what William Barclay wrote. The disciples had grown up against a background of thought which expected from God a conquering king who would lead them to world dominion. Peter's eyes would blaze with excitement when he said, you're God's Messiah. But Jesus had to teach them that God's anointed one had come to die upon a cross. He had to take their ideas of God and of God's purposes and turn them upside down. And from this time on, that is what he set himself to do. So look at Matthew 16 here on the screen. Uh, It says that he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone. Remember, Peter, the fisherman, had just said, you're God's Messiah, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he, here's the word again, must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Those three groups formed the Jewish Supreme Court, which was known as the Sanhedrin. And they would test every teacher, they would test every teaching, and if they qualified, then they got the smile of the Sanhedrin. If they didn't, they were seen as heretics, and there was all kinds of pain, all kinds of stuff to pay. So Peter took him aside, excuse me, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, Peter took him aside. Remember, Peter had just been commended for Jesus for saying, you're right, flesh and blood didn't reveal to you that I'm the Messiah, but my Father in heaven showed you that. Way to go, you're onto something, Peter. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Have you ever thought about how this would have gone down? Uh, Jesus, uh, this is where you're wrong. I don't want to talk in front of the other disciples, but this is where you're way off, okay? Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And in a way, he's saying, this can't happen. It'll never happen. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I wonder what Peter thought about on his cot that night. What happened? I think Jesus is saying this. The way you're thinking and talking right now is a wrong idea about God's Messiah I've heard that same exact voice in the wilderness when I was tempted to be some other kind of Messiah that did not have to suffer. You are only thinking from a human perspective. You do not understand God's ways. Wow. 
Now, let's think about this. What's the word Messiah mean? If you're following along, Messiah means anointed one. That's literal meaning. It has the idea of deliverer. And the idea that was in the scriptures was the king to end all kings. The king to end all kings. Now, some, this is no extra charge right here, but sometimes we say Jesus Christ. Christ is the Greek word. Messiah is the Hebrew word. They're the same thing. So we just sang the song, Jesus Messiah. We could have sung it, Jesus Christ, except they didn't have three syllables and it wouldn't have fit in the music as well. The idea here is when you see, whenever you hear someone say Jesus Christ, whether they're cursing or they're saying it out of respect, remember that what they're saying is Jesus Messiah. God's anointed one. God's deliverer, the king to end all kings. But when most people heard that, they went, that's exactly what we need. Friends, think about this. Right now, United States is on edge. We want someone who's gonna come in and make United States great and restore our nation to what we thought it should be and all that kind of stuff. Israel was in the same position and so they were looking for a Messiah. Who will get us out of this mess? Who will restore us? And, and so they were prime. And so if they heard that Jesus is the Messiah, you'd think the crowds would have gone up. They would have gone, I want to be around that guy. That's the guy. So Jesus says, don't tell them that because they have a wrong idea. I didn't come to be a military. I didn't come to be a political. I didn't come to be some power person that was going to make everybody's life easy and nice again. That's not why I came. And the wrong idea is he said, if you're going to follow me, you must let go of your wrong ideas about God's Messiah. Well, then he uses this phrase, the son of man. We were introduced to that last summer when we studied Daniel. And Daniel 7 talks about this one called, one like a son of man. Jesus, this was his favorite description of himself. He loved to call himself the son of man. Son of man was another title for the Messiah. And the the son of man in Daniel's uh, rendering is a heavenly figure who would come and set everything right. And so people were looking for the Messiah, the son of man. And notice if you're following along, Jesus says the son of man must suffer, be killed, and rise on the third day. He must suffer, be killed, and rise on the third day. Now, I don't know if you've looked at this, but down in that second gray box, the word must shows up a couple times uh, when he's talking about who he must be and what he must become. And then it shows up another time when he talks about what they must become. But this word must, 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 this is a have to, friends. He says there's no other way for God to set things right unless the Messiah suffers, is rejected, is killed, and is raised on the third day. And this was like so foreign. Friends, you have to understand, this, this was so difficult for them to understand that even after Jesus had been killed on the cross and risen again, they were still trying to figure this out. John the Baptist said, are you the one or should we look for another? This was so countercultural. You mean, how do you get rid of evil by letting evil win? Why would God's Messiah be killed? That just, it can't work like that, can it? And so they were wrestling with all this. He says, you need to know, he must be killed, he must suffer. And the scriptures are showing this. Let me just put a couple scriptures up on the screen. After Jesus rose again, he had conversations with his disciples. And here's the first one in Luke 24, I think it's verse 26. He's walking with two people on the road to Emmaus just outside Jerusalem, and he says to them, they don't know who he is, but he says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And he pointed out all the places in the Bible to these two people where that was true, all throughout the Old Testament. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? All the places where the Messiah is clearly predicted. Then it goes on, and after he meets with more of the disciples, it says, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Pause. Does this encourage you? Here's what Jesus is saying is, I've been telling you. You're still not getting it. That's why it's so encouraging to me. How much does Jesus need to keep telling you something? I need to be reminded all the time. Are you glad you're here? We get to be reminded today of what Jesus wants to teach us. He said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's like the whole Old Testament. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Lord, open our minds right here at Cherry Hills to understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what, that this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He's saying this, you're looking for a Messiah who goes from glory, no suffering. And I'm telling you this, the Messiah came first suffering, then glory. Don't get the order wrong. Please understand. And so this is really important for us to see. And when you and I begin to understand this, this has ramifications for us. Think, think with me about this. What Jesus is saying is, do you still want to follow me? If they, if they said, Jesus, we want to follow you because this is what we think you are, we think that you're going to, you're, you're, uh, ratings are going to climb, your popularity is going to keep going up, your power is going to get more and more displayed. So just by the natural result, if we're standing next to you, it's photo op time. I'm with Jesus. See? And he says, but, but if I actually go another route where as the Messiah, as the Son of Man, I must suffer, I must be rejected, I must be killed and raised on the third day, and you're standing next to me then... Those aren't photo op times. Those are moments of truth. You still interested in following me? You know, we regularly say around here, we believe God is calling us as a church to declare war on shallow Christianity, beginning with ourselves. What's shallow Christianity? Shallow Christianity is that version of Christianity that's false, that says, all God sent Jesus to do was buy your ticket to heaven. And as long as you believe, you have your ticket to heaven. True Christianity says he came to be Savior, but he came to be Lord. He came to take over your life and mine. And unless you and I want him as both Savior and Lord, we're signing up for a shallow version of Christianity that is really no version at all. So he wants to know, what did you sign up for? Are you willing to accept that God's plan has always been to have a suffering Messiah? Somebody says, like, give me an example in the Old Testament where that is. I can't, I've done other messages on this before. Read Isaiah 53. It prophesies that the Messiah will suffer. Let me go on and say this. The second thing his revealing conversation is, says is that you must let go of your wrong ideas about following me. So he says you must let go in order to follow me. First, you must let go of your wrong ideas about the Messiah, but second, you must let go of your wrong ideas of following me. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have a wrong idea that says following you is just all about the benefits you give me, but none of the cost, then what happens when one of the costs shows up? I can easily buckle or argue or rebuke and say, it was never supposed to be like this. 
And if you and I are regularly have wrong ideas about God and his Messiah, and we go, well, my God would never judge. My God would never ask me to give up anything. My God doesn't want me to be anything but happy. You operate out of that kind of understanding, then when different things happen in your life, you're gonna have some serious challenges go on, so will I. So he says, look, first I want you to make sure you're clear that you must let go of your wrong ideas about the Messiah. Now I wanna talk to you about how you must let go of your wrong ideas of following me. And notice that what he says is, is that being my disciple means to deny yourself and take up your cross. Being my disciple means to deny yourself and take up your cross. And notice that he adds another word after take up your cross. Do you remember what it is if you look at Luke's gospel there? Take up your cross daily. Daily. Say, I'm not asking you to take up your cross just once. I'm asking you to do this every day in order to follow me. And so many of us hear this. We hear Jesus saying, look, here's what kind of Messiah I'm going to be. I'm committed to making your life miserable and hard. No, he's saying, this is just common sense. This is just practical. You can't follow me unless you're willing to deny yourself and take up your cross. Because otherwise, you're going to be conflicted. We've talked before about that African proverb that says, whoever wants to take two different paths at the same time will split their pants. See, you and I can't. We can't. We can't hold on to something and still follow him. It's impossible. But a lot of us say, but, but I think I can do it. I'm pretty talented. I'll give it a try. The only thing we don't realize is, is it's not just about our actions, it's also about our heart. Our heart cannot go two different places and be wholehearted. And so Jesus is teaching this, and he says, you must be willing to deny yourself. A lot of people, when they hear that, they go, I must deny myself, I must deny myself. But he doesn't mean deny yourself to deny yourself. He's saying deny yourself so that you can follow me. And when he said, take up your cross, this was an image that many of them had seen because the Roman form of execution was crosses. They crucified people, killed them on crosses. So whenever they saw someone leaving town with a cross over their shoulder, they realized that they weren't taking it for firewood. They were going somewhere, and it was a one-way trip. It was the very thing that they were going to go and die on. And Jesus is saying it's also a way of identifying just as I'm going to carry my cross. I'm asking you to so identify with me that you're willing, even if it means suffering, even if it means death, that you'd be willing to do that. But notice he says, take up your cross daily. He's not just talking about martyrdom. He's talking about daily surrender. And this idea here is so big. And so as you're thinking about this, have you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? King Solomon wrote it. And King Solomon had all kinds of riches, but look at verse uh, 10 and 11 in chapter two. I want you to read the first four words of this verse with me out loud. I denied myself nothing. The book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon saying, I set out on a journey to discover what really life is all about. And he, he's, he's, he's actually capturing it now when he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Stop. How many of us would have to admit that for us, this sounds like the ultimate goal in happy living? If I could just do that, I would finally really live. 
Solomon says, I got to do that. I denied myself nothing, Maya's desired. I refused my heart, no pleasure. And some of us, by the way, if someone were to describe our lives right now, this is our operational approach to life. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So here's one approach. Deny yourself nothing or deny yourself completely in order to say yes to Christ. What's it going to be? What's it going to be for us? And you know, the only way we can answer that is by the way we answer, who do you say I am? Because if we don't realize who he is, then we'll not only not like him talking to us, but we'll probably blow him off. And so this next line, I want you to see, he just continues to just reason with us. He says, whoever wants to hold on to their life will lose it. Whoever wants to hold on to their life will lose it. He says, look, if you decide to go ahead and just keep holding on, you can do that. But in the end, you're going to find that it's not really yours. It's not, you lost it along the way. It wasn't what you thought it'd be. Look here at Luke 14, if you would. He says several things throughout the rest of this gospel about these same kind of challenges. One day when large groups of people were walking along with him, Jesus turned and told them, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. And then he goes on in Luke 14, 33. I think we've got another one there. Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Why? Because you'll still be always trying to hold on and control those things. It's not that he's saying those things aren't precious or matter, but are you willing to put them in my hands like we talked about last week? And so, I don't know if you've thought about this, by the way, but just practical thinking. If the military said, hey, you're now part of our army, do whatever you want. Don't deny yourself if you get in a situation, but we're going to still be an army. Could they be an army? No. If a marriage, if, we, if two people say, hey, you do what you want, I'll do what I want, and we'll make life work, does it work? No. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to choose. I'm not going to force you. This is an invitation. Whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now notice, if you're following along, he says this, if being with me is the prize, any price is worth it, you'll see. If being with me is the prize, any price is worth it, you'll see. He goes on and he tells them several things. He says this, he says, the Son of Man is going to return. Not only is he going to be killed, he'll, he'll suffer, be rejected, he'll be killed. He'll rise again on the third day. Wow, that means that death will not ultimately defeat him. Then he will one day come back. And when he comes back, he's coming back in glory this time. And when he comes back in glory, his Father's glory and his own glory and the, and the angels with him, on that day he will come back as the judge. By the way, the Son of Man was also known as the judge of the whole earth. And when he comes back, will he be ashamed of you or will 
You be unashamed of him. What's it going to be? In other words, this is, there's a lot riding on this. Are you ashamed of this kind of Messiah and following him, or will you be unashamed? The other thing he says is, is this incredible line. He says, I tell you the truth. Some of you are standing right here who will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God in power. What does he mean by that? Well, quite simply, I think it means that you will see him coming in power when he dies on the cross, when he rises again, when he ascends into heaven at the right hand of the Father, when Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit is given to all of his followers, and when the church is begun by his amazing power. You will see all these things. There were some standing there that would not see this. Who were they? I'll just mention one name. Judas. Judas would not live to see any of that. Why? Because Judas was not willing to deny himself and take up his cross. He was not willing to let go of his wrong ideas of God's Messiah. And so when he saw that Jesus was not fulfilling what he thought the Messiah should do by overcoming Rome's rule, by getting the Israel back to where they should be and everything like that, he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. If you won't deny yourself and take up your cross daily, you can't be my disciple because you'll sell out. You'll constantly argue with me. You'll constantly be going a different direction. You'll be conflicted in your heart. You won't be able to be happy getting your own way and you won't be able to be happy with me. You must. It's a have to. He says, you must let go if you want to follow me. And so, I told you about a kid's book. When I was a younger dad, I bought my kids different books to read to them at bedtime. And uh, one of them was this one right here. I'll put the book uh, cover on the screen. It's called Adam Raccoon in Lost Woods. It's written by Glenn Keane. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Glenn Keane. I hadn't before, but he's been uh, a, a chief animator for Disney. Uh, for almost 40 years. He's retired now. He was called a Disney legend. He was part of Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Tangled, some of those movies, okay? Now, the thing is, is he's also a believer. And so he was this animator, and so he put these books, I think there's about seven of them that he wrote. Adam Raccoon is the every man, every woman person in the story. And then there's this lion called King Aaron, who is the Christ figure, the Messiah figure in these parables. And, you know, some nights you're reading things to your kids and thinking, oh, no, I really hope this is good for the kids and stuff. And all of a sudden you realize, I don't know if the kids are getting this, but I'm getting this and this is bothering me. And that's what happened to me, okay? So, uh, and and my kids are all grown up and out of the house now. So this was a number of years ago, but I have never forgotten this book. So let me just tell you the story real quick, okay? So it all starts by Adam Raccoon. Early in the morning, you see him in his treehouse packing a suitcase. It's before dawn. He's getting all ready. And finally, there's a knock on the door, and it's the lion figure, figure, King Aaron, who knocks on the door, and he says, are you ready for our hike, Adam? And Adam says, I sure am. Just give me a minute. So he runs back, and when he comes out, here's what he looks like. He's got all this stuff. It's packed really high, taller than he is. So it's got like TV, skis, you know, uh, tennis racket, fishbowl, camera, all his possessions and stuff like that. And he basically says to King Aaron, I'm ready. I'm ready for a hike. 
And you see this next uh, page here. Uh, King Aaron's basically going, uh, I've already planned for everything. Like, you don't need that stuff. He goes, but I need this stuff. I really need this. I have to take this with me. And he says, it's your call. But he says, you know, it's going to be tough, you know, to do that. But okay, if that's what you insist. And so Adam goes, let's go. And he starts going off in the wrong direction. And King Aaron says, uh, it's this way. So he turns him around. And they've walked for just a little while when they come to a stream. When they come to the stream, it's pretty wide to cross, and so King Aaron says, this is a little tricky, but watch me and then do what I do. So he takes a swinging vine, he swings successfully across the stream, and meanwhile, Adam Raccoon's standing there with all this stuff. And so the next picture, this is one of my favorites whenever I read this, his tiny little raccoon toes stick out, and he starts to try and cross through the rocks that are in the middle of the stream. He's got all this stuff, and you see him try and make his way like this, and the next you know, scene basically shows him like going up in the air, splattering all kinds of stuff, and eventually all this stuff goes down the stream except one red ball, and it takes us to this next picture right here. And he's like bummed, okay? He's looking at that and going, wow, that didn't go well. And uh, so then, in the next screen, he basically says, hey, this red ball is just a little thing. Can I take this with me? It's all I have left. And King Aaron once again says, you're not going to need it. He says, no, but I, you know, please let me take it. So King Aaron says, okay. And so he keeps walking. Now they come to Lost Woods, which is scary and dark and has all kinds of twists and turns and it's really kind of spooky, but he's holding the red ball and he's holding on to King Aaron's hand and they make it all the way through Lost Woods after a time. They come up out into a beautiful sun, uh, sunny area, nice green area and everything and he uh, lets go of King Aaron's hand because everything's better now and all of a sudden as he's been playing with the ball and stuff like that, the ball goes out of his hands, rolls down, back down the hill through different things all the way back into Lost Woods. He goes after it to get it and when he gets there, he all of a sudden looks up and now doesn't remember how he got there. He doesn't know how to get back. And uh, he's starting to get spooky and stuff like that so he yells, he goes, King Aaron, I'm lost! And he yells all this kind of stuff. Well, the next thing he hears is growling sound and he realizes he's surrounded by wolves. And the wolves start moving in on him and they're about to leap on him. He closes his eyes, he can't bear to look. And the next thing he knows is nothing happens. So he opens his eyes and now all of a sudden they're cowering back in fear. And he realizes that King Aaron has come up behind him and is standing behind him and they're scared of him. And he hugs King Aaron and says, oh, King Aaron, thank you so much and stuff like that. And then here is my favorite scene in this story is the last page. You see uh, King Aaron and Adam walking off on their hike hand in hand with the red ball left behind there in the foreground. And King Aaron says, you know, aren't you forgetting something? He says, nothing that I'm going to need as long as I'm with you. And I remember thinking to myself, he understood that the only way you can really go with King Aaron is to let go. And so as we think about this message today, here's what I want to just ask you to think about how we respond to Jesus' invitation. Remember, Jesus said to all, he said to all, he said to whoever. So here's a couple things if you want to respond to Jesus' invitation to be his follower. The first thing is, is unashamed, say to Jesus, I trust you as Messiah who had to suffer for me. I trust you as Messiah on the cross. 
I trust you as the anointed one God has sent to suffer for me. I now realize you had to suffer. My self-centeredness, the only way to turn my self-centeredness and the fallenness of this whole world that is all about getting our own way, the only way to reverse that was to pay the ultimate price and show what life looks like when someone's not self-centered. Jesus left the glories of heaven, came down, and every moment of his life was, Father, what do you want? Father, what do you want? Totally surrendered his prerogatives and said, I only do what God wants me to do because I've found that that's not the end of life. That's the beginning of life. That's the richness of life. Jesus, I'm not ashamed of you. You know, he died naked on a cross in order to do that for us. He was willing to be shamed for us. He was that kind of Messiah. And friends, I've watched over the years, people willingly sacrifice things in their life and their lives for Jesus. You know what got them? When they realized that Jesus is the Messiah who suffered for them. Who do you say he is? Second thing is, each day I voluntarily agree to let you lead my life. Remember, take up your cross daily, each day. I voluntarily. It's a have to because that's the only way it works, but it have to has become a get to. That have to makes sense to me. But it's not a have to where I begrudgingly do it, Lord. I do it now because you don't ask me to do what you weren't willing to first do for me. And if that is what you say is the pathway to living, then I'm willing to let go of whatever you and each day freshly surrender so that you are at the control center of my life and not me at the control center of my life. And so that you can work from the inside out. Friends, we have all seen Christians who don't voluntarily agree to do this. They, they're guilted into it. They do it from outside pressure. That'll work for a while. Jesus wants disciples who from the inside out say, I know it's a have to. It makes complete sense to me. But it's not a have to that I despise. It's a have to that I now embrace as a get to. Friends, you and I should be honored that Jesus would invite us to follow him. Amen? He thinks a lot of us. He says, follow me. But I want to make sure you know up front, if you're going to follow me, it'll never work if you decide to hold on to your red ball. What's your red ball? Paul who had been a driving force in his own power, met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Jesus changed him from the inside out, and eventually he would write these words, I have been crucified with Christ. I've taken up my cross. It is no longer I who live, not the old guy who used to be in charge all the time, but Christ who now lives in me. And the life I now live by faith every day, the life I now live every day, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. The Messiah who gave himself for me. That's how I live. That's how I'm learning to roll. And sometimes I still need to freshly surrender. It's a daily thing. I die every day, he says, but I'm learning how to do that. I die not to die. I die to live. I die to follow. So friends, here's the prayer that I believe he wants us to think about. Lord, you're showing me I must let go of blank to follow you. What is it for you? What's your red ball? 
You know, I was thinking about, as I look back at my life, if you were to take all the different spiritual markers and stuff, you could do this too. What I've noticed is, is that almost every one of those major spiritual markers, what was going on in my heart was the Lord, across the ticker of my mind said, I'm calling you to let go of this if you're going to follow me into the next part. And then I had a decision to make. And there was this sense of, and I had to figure out, will will I hold on or let go? Friends, the only regrets I have in my life are the times I've held on to what he asked me to let go of. So what is it for you? I've, I'll look, here's some examples of my own life. Sometimes he's asked me to let go of a possession, like Adam. Sometimes he's asked me to let go of a person. I told you how when I was a teenager, he asked me to let go of my girlfriend, not because she was so wrong or evil, but because she wasn't God's will for me. And I insisted on holding on to that relationship. I insisted on holding on to her. And he said, you're not going to be able to follow me if you do that, Jeff. You know you're going to be conflicted. Maybe it's a hobby. Some of us, it's not necessarily a bad hobby. It just takes over our life. Maybe it's a habit, an addiction. Maybe a good habit, a bad habit, but it's a habit that just totally consumes us or just gives way more attention than Jesus in our life. Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe it's a worry. Even this last week, I just felt like Jesus was saying to me, you are worrying about this, Jeff. You're worrying. For some of us, it's the future. We want to hold on to our picture of the future and we will not let Jesus be the one who tells us. So what is it for you? Let's just take a few moments to bow our heads and if you're willing, would you let Jesus talk to you? Would you talk to Jesus about whatever may be going on in your heart? What's your red ball? He's talking to you about your red ball because he wants you to be able to take his hand instead. open to walk with him that's the picture that's the vision he's casting for us and he says i'm the prize that's worth any price you may not know that yet who do you say i am because if you have the right idea about me and you know me you'll be able to do things you didn't think you could do let's pray now god as we walk into this week thanks for being a patient teacher with us training us when we fail or when we still hold on, you patiently keep bringing us back to this being the hinge point of our lives. But the only way we can be wholehearted is if we deny ourselves and take up our cross daily so we can be completely yours and do everything with you. So teach us how to do that, God. I thank you that that's your desire for us. What an honor. Help it become a get-to. Amen. God bless you.